why mattering comes first. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn Gregory, and you're on Gut Plus Science, a mentoring platform for people-first leaders of all levels. Here, we talk to exceptional leaders who prioritize culture, get fired up about employee engagement, and are excited to share ideas and tools for bettering employee experience to help others. Thank you for joining us to invest in being a better leader. Now, let's get to it. Hey, it's Nikki. And you know those times you get to talk with someone that shares your passion, your fire for life? Well, it's energizing and sometimes you can't stop talking. Hopefully my editors cut me down a bit because I got so fired up. (laughs) And Zach Mercurio is so passionate about helping people feel they matter. And I love this and how it intersects with people feeling meaning in their work, in their life. Oh, it's so good, this conversation. Here we go. Okay, today we're talking about how to help people feel they matter. I have Zach Mercurio with me today to talk about this topic. Zach, welcome to Gut Plus Science. What do most leaders think they're doing well, but they maybe not when it comes to really making people feel they matter? Well, first, I think it's turning this idea of mattering into a common practice. So if you look at your to-do list today, how many items on that to-do list have to do with one, you know, remembering someone's full name or naming someone's unique gifts or naming their strengths or showing somebody how they make a difference or saying to somebody, if it wasn't for you. And the data also indicates that we're not doing this as well either. We think we are, but we're not. Upwards of 65% of people in global surveys indicate they feel underappreciated, unrecognized. The MIT, along with Charles Saul, published a study of over 34 million people on why they left a job during the two and a half years called the Great Resignation. And they found that not feeling included, feeling disrespected, feeling like they didn't matter, uh, predicted someone leaving 10 times more than pay or benefits alone. We know that more people than ever feel lonely. They feel forgotten. And, you know, I'm reminded right now of a McKinsey study that just came out that found that uncaring leaders are one of the top reasons amongst all 600 people in a study on why they left a job. So while everybody listening is probably like, hey, you know, I, I want to be a good human. I want to make sure everybody feels like they matter. Oftentimes that common sense is not common practice. And we're seeing it in the data right now and in, in that gap between common sense and the strategic daily practice of doing it. Mm. So good. And I think my first takeaway that I can't imagine a listener cannot relate to is the importance of uh, not overlooking the little things because, you know, sometimes we're so focused on these big things that we're like, I am going to ask deeper questions this week in my one-on-ones and I'm just going to listen better. Right. Like, which is awesome. But am I like, remembering their name (laughs) or Mm. remembering a last conversation and bringing that back to ask like, Oh, I know your dog was sick. Like how was, how's your dog doing or recognizing something that might be just a little win, but recognizing the little win, I think all of us could get better at, you know, the little things that are the multiplier effect. Right. So thank you so much. And I know the big things matter too, but that was just a really good aha already. And I know when we talked before you were sharing, you know, with a lot of leaders you work with, they lean into their intuition a lot and Mm. let that kind of guide them. But there are some air balls there 
that kind of leaning in too deep to your intuition sometimes doesn't serve us. Talk about that. Intuition doesn't scale. Practices and skills do. So for example, you would never rely on your pilot's intuition to fly you safely. They have a certification for how they should fly an airplane or you'd, you'd, we'd never rely on our surgeons to use their intuition to make sure we're safe on the operating table. Uh, but yet when it comes to leadership, organizations and individuals tend to do this all the time. We leave leadership up to intuition, this idea that we should go with what we think is best, that common sense. A good way to think about this is, you know, leaders are responsible for where human beings spend upwards of 35% of their waking lives. Leaders should be expected to have clear, hard competencies for how they treat those people. Um, and if, if you don't know how leaders in your organization, for example, are evaluated, how they learn, how they hone the skills to treat other people, it's really hard to scale it. So that's what I mean by when I say intuition doesn't scale, that skills and practices do. What I think needs to happen, what I've been seeing is that we need to turn this idea of being a good leader into a hard skill set that can be defined, that can be learned, that can be evaluated, that can be rewarded versus leave it up to someone who's just quote unquote good with people which is what we tend to do, uh, especially in how we're promoting and training leaders in organizations. Give us a few examples of skills and practices that you've seen scale. Yeah. So one is noticing people. Uh, you mentioned that those little things, those little things are really big things. There's, there's a big difference between knowing somebody though and noticing them. For example, noticing is the deliberate act of seeing somebody remembering their personal details, thinking about their personal details when they're not there, and then showing them an action that shows them that they are seen. And the way this is a hard skill, I'll give an example. I was working with a big distribution center. Uh, they had 19 teams. They were scoring very low on their employee engagement surveys. But when we segmented the data by teams, one team was scoring really high, like an anomaly. We went to that team and we said, what's going on here? And all of them said, oh, it's our leader. You know, she just gets us. We'd do anything for her. So naturally I went to the leader and I said, hey, can you just teach everybody in the distribution center to do that? What are you doing? And she pulls out this moleskin notebook and she goes, I do one thing. Every Friday morning, I write down my team members' names. I write down one thing I heard them talk about in their personal life or a work project they were struggling that week. On Monday morning, I start my morning by looking at that notebook. And then I schedule three minutes to check in with each person on one of those things. I share that example because you could say, oh, that, she just must be a good person. No, it's a deliberate practice. So what is your deliberate practice of seeing, remembering, and checking in on people? Hmm. And that can scale. For example, one way it can scale is making sure that in every touch point you have with people, you create some space to check in on how they're doing before you talk about what you're doing together. It's like, you know, when I observe a lot of Zoom meetings lately, uh, when I'm coaching leaders, a lot of people go around and they say, how are you, how are we doing? And then people will say, I'm really overloaded, I'm stressed. And then the leader invariably says, okay, let's get through the agenda, right? We've like normalized despair. 
just creating a little space at the beginning of meetings to check in, to offer actions to help, to remember how people are, can be incredibly powerful. There are a lot of other practices there, but that's one that stuck with me because it was in practice in a fast-paced distribution center. She scheduled three minutes to check in on something personal every week. That's tangible. That's awesome. Great example. Okay, go with me for a minute. Uh, I'm a visual learner, so we're going to like visualize through audio for a second. If mattering or making people matter was a tree, what are the roots or what is the foundation of mattering? Mm. Well, I'm going to, I'm actually going to start the opposite way. I'll tell you the branches. Cause I just okay. named a branch. One branch okay. is making sure people feel noticed. Um, and that's what we talked about. Making sure people feel seen, checked in on, but the second branch is making sure people feel affirmed and real affirmation is showing people how their unique strengths make a unique difference. Um, it's about when you are able to name someone's unique gifts and then tell them a story about how those unique gifts make a difference. And then the third branch is needed, making sure everybody feels irreplaceable and indispensable. When people feel replaceable, they will act it. Don't be surprised when people leave because you told them they're just a number or they felt like they're just a number, or they'll act like just a number. But when people feel irreplaceable, they act irreplaceable. Those three branches coalesce into a primal human instinct that we were all born with. The root of this is the instinct to matter. Um, I'm reminded right now of when I had my first son and I, I went up to him and I remember putting my finger down and he went and grabbed his little hand grasped my finger, right? And what researchers find is that's a grasp, a reflex that we're born with. And why are we born with that reflex? Because if we didn't matter to someone else in our first moments on this earth, we wouldn't survive. And researchers find that that is encoded into not only our genes, into our brains, we are programmed to seek to matter to other people. Mm. So our primal need to matter is fulfilled by those branches of feeling noticed, affirmed, or needed by the environment around us. And researchers find that need for mattering never goes away across the lifespan. You much imagine just every human being you interact with, every person on your team, every client, every person as a human being that has the built-in instinct to matter. And that's how this stuff becomes not touchy-feely. It becomes just about as touchy-feely as feeding someone who's hungry. Mm, so good. I love your storytelling. You are good at this. Well, I love so, the tree. The tree got me really excited. So oh, I like that well, visual. Well, great. We might just build on this tree thing. I was going to say, when we chatted before, I remember talking about belief. And I'm trying to understand yeah. where belief fits into all this. Feel free to throw it into the tree or not. Well, let's add it. I don't know where it would be, but I guess it's like belief is the the water and soil for the tree. The tree wouldn't exist without the belief. So we have this primal need to matter. The experience of mattering that comes from noticing, affirming, and needing, that experience reinforces, or if we don't get that experience, destroys the belief that we matter, which fulfills that need for significance and mattering. So I think it's almost like a, a loop. So we have the need, we're built, it's encoded, it's hard to argue with biologically, psychologically. We have the noticed, affirmed and needed framework, which those are the things that help us reaffirm and experience mattering. That helps to build the belief that we matter. 
And then that belief fulfills or doesn't fulfill that need to matter. And what happens at each stage of that loop, especially when it comes back, whether that need to matter is met or not met, has severe implications on individual well-being, workplace well-being, organizational thriving. So good. So I don't know if we want to go any deeper on really like this, like soil and dirt side of like really how to <laughs> yeah. build belief because it is, it is the, the lifeblood, right. Mm-hmm. Um, that we have to have, but if there's anything else that you wanted to touch on, on as leaders, you know, what are the ways that we build belief and it could tie right into, you know, all of the branches that we just talked about, about the trees, which is being noticed, affirmed and needed, but love for you to explain on that. I think it ties into everything we've talked about. I think it ties in how to move from intuition to skills and practices. We come to believe something because we have like an assumed truth. This word belief is is really big and it gets tossed around a lot. But a belief is something that you assume to be true and you don't even think about it. For example, you went into wherever you're sitting right now, you sat down in whatever you're sitting in or, or you're exercising on an ex- piece of exercise equipment because you believe that that chair will hold you or that piece of exercise equipment will do what you want it to do. You don't come into your office every day and say, hmm, is this structure for sitting in? No, you believe that this chair is for sitting in. Why? Well, you believe it because you've sat in it before. Uh, Mm -hmm. You believe it because of repetition in your environment. And this is really important that our beliefs are reaffirmed through repetition in our environment. So the belief that your employees matter, that your customers matter, that your clients matter, the belief that your family matters, the belief that your delivery driver matters, that belief is reinforced or not reinforced through repetition in their environment. And who is part of our environment? We all are. And as a leader, you're the architect of an environment. And so when that environment creates repeated cues that were noticed, affirmed, and needed, we build the belief that we are noticed, affirmed, and needed. And that belief fulfills the need that we have to feel like mm. we matter. So good. And, and that is why those practices are, 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 are really critical to think about. So does your environment that you create, does it ensure that people feel noticed, affirmed, and needed? And if not, which one of those might be lacking? And which one should you invest in? And we can obviously explore those in much more depth. But I think that this helps tie together the need to turn intuition into common skills and practices to create repetition in the environment that helps someone form the belief that they matter. And Zach, you're a researcher. Tell us about your research and recent favorite findings around one of your favorite things, which is purposeful leadership. Yeah, we just completed a study of over 1,500 employees in 28 different industries on what leadership behaviors predict meaningfulness in work. So meaningfulness is just the psychological condition of experiencing mattering. It's knowing that I and what I'm doing is purposeful. I and what I'm, I, what I'm doing is significant. And one of the most powerful findings was that what happens in the interpersonal interaction between a leader and someone they lead is more important to promoting meaningfulness than and internal motivation and general thriving in work than is having a big vision, policies, procedures, even pay or benefits, just what happens between a person and their leader. So for example, one of the number one predictors of meaningful work 
experiencing meaningfulness, which we know leads to engagement, motivation, satisfaction, and ultimately performance, was my leader creates a personal connection with me. You can probably track that up to a branch of noticing. These are things like my leaders know what's going on outside of my life. My leaders know about the stresses in my life. My leaders offer actions to alleviate my stressors, what's happening in my life, that personal connection. And my leader makes time for me to be able to personally connect with people around me and in in my team in the absence of instrumental work outcomes. That's important. We're so like performance obsessed that oftentimes we try to pursue performance as an end in itself. And we forget that every leading indicator of performance is how a human being feels. The second was potential. My leader names my strengths. My leader gives me responsibilities that help me to use those strengths. And my leader helps me see a path to grow. And then the third of the top three was impact. That I don't know just that I matter, but I can see daily how I matter. So these are like my leader can connect my everyday tasks to tangible, measurable objectives, which ultimately enable a measurable impact on another human being. And they show me that. They make that line of sight extremely clear. So the other thing I want to point out is that, and this is a little bit of research speak, but I'll spell it out. A leader's behaviors in these areas predicted almost 48% of whether someone would experience meaningfulness in their work. So a leader Mm. has responsibility over almost half of whether someone will experience their work as meaningful. And that's significant. And you know what's cool about those three things we talked about? Everybody has control over it. It actually doesn't even matter what your, your leader is telling you you can't or can't do if you're a team leader. It doesn't matter if there's some policy that you disagree with, right? You can architect the interpersonal interaction with the people you lead. And those are the things we know have the most predictive outcome on whether someone experiences meaningfulness. Oh, so good. I'm taking so many notes. It's kind of like, here's the takeaway from the episode, but I have so many notes just to talk to my team about because Gut Plus Science was started five years ago and it was the catalyst that brought People Forward Network to life, which is a a network for many different podcasts that really hone in on different types of leaders and different types of categories of topics, but the common theme that holds it all together, the thing that People Forward Network was founded on from a, let's call it mission statement, even though we've kind of evolved, it's more of like our marketing message is do meaningful work, live meaningful life. And that's how People Forward Network began. It's really the predecessor to where, you know, Gut Plus Science started. Um, Mm. That's been in my soul for a long time that I feel like when we and it ties so well into this, and maybe you could articulate like from your come from, it's like, I believe that when we are doing meaningful work, it A is a large part of the time that we spend, but um, it can give us so much of that um, just affirmation and feeling Mm. of like, I am doing something with my life that is really using my time well, you know, in this work bucket, but it helps me be a better parent and wife and community member. And it fuels everything else. And I think you know, with anything in life, it's all holistic. It's like what you're doing with your health is impacting everything else. But I do feel that work really gives that opportunity to help people just feel elevated, you know, that lasts and trickles onto other things much deeper. I think it's important. And I I like this idea of meaningful work, of doing meaningful work. And I would even say that more important is experiencing meaningfulness in the work that you do. 
Yeah. So like, for example, a lot, one of the distinctions we tend to get wrong or we don't see is that you can have a meaningful job, but not experience meaningfulness in your job. For example, mm-hmm. I've worked with trauma surgeons that are doing meaningful work, but because of their leadership or their hospital structures or the systems that they're in, they're not experiencing meaningfulness in their work anymore. Mm-hmm. So one that's of the right. things that, that's really powerful is that we can do meaningful work, but it's up to us and the community we surround ourselves to maintain that meaningfulness for each other through what I believe and research is showing the experience of creating mattering for other people. And that's why, that's why I, I say that mattering comes first, right? Not only does it biologically come first, it's our first reflex as a baby, it literally comes first. If you think about it, it's almost impossible for anything to matter to someone who doesn't believe that they matter. It's very hard for anybody to care until they feel cared for. It's almost like the experience of mattering, the branches of that tree is the prerequisite. It's the, like the animating force for life itself. You probably wouldn't have gotten out of bed today. If you didn't subconsciously somewhere deep down believe that your life was worth the energy you're devoting to it. Mm-hmm. Let's take a moment to imagine that you woke up and you presume that you didn't matter today. You'd probably not do much of anything. I mean, this, this belief is so core to everything that we want. And what's great is that there are skills we can enact to create it Commun- in community, in our schools, in our families, in work. And I love what you said about how work and life are, are holistic because that's a false dichotomy too. A human being is, a, is experiencing life wherever they're alive. Mm-hmm. And that includes right. at work, right? So yeah. when we dissolve that, it actually compels us to take more responsibility. Mm-hmm. Kind of side note here, going off on just a little bit of tangent, but this area, so I so, have so much passion about this. And one of the things I do just as a hobby, I've never gotten paid for this. I have done it for years because in my early twenties, when I figured out that this was kind of my path around meaningful work experiences to morph my, my career into that before I was 25, I knew what it was like to see my parents work their butts Mm. off and do very well, but to never have that side of it. They never had that like experience of meaningful work. And we lived for vacations and weekends and, you know, when they could have time outside of that. And, and I also experienced it myself before I found this. So I know what it was like to feel like, can five o'clock just come like, you know, or whatever. And I found two tools over the years. One is icky guy, which you're probably f- mm-hmm, familiar mm-hmm. with, which is, mm-hmm. I, I tell people, I'm like, if you can just go sit in a place that you just love to be your favorite chair or whatever. And you look at that and you work on that for yourself. You know, that is what I help people with. Just like I said, as a hobby is just like how to help them kind of get clear on what is it that they feel that from their strengths and what fires them up, you know, brings them that feeling, you know, and start to go down that direction. The other is a Gallup study from years ago that I've used over and over and over again, but really it was in the core was meaning. And there were four categories that brought the core of the meaning together. It was purpose, status, money, and influence. And Mm. I remember looking at that for the first time. And I grew up with parents that made great money, but you know, the meaning wasn't there. So I always kind of wanted to fight that, but I spent time like, I really want to know what this means. And really the, the core of it was that our evolution of life prompts those four things at different priority levels in our life Mm. where, you know, let's say, you know, I had an example of a a gentleman in a training one time and we were talking about this because I said, I've been using it for a long time. And and he said, I'm the example of money. And I have been like that for a long time. And I think it will shift at some point. But he said, we chose for my wife to always stay home and homeschool our kids. We have six kids. 
my main job is to make sure that I take care of us financially. And that is what mm. brings me like at the end of the day, my meaning. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he said the work that we do, it was like in a technical world of type of work. I can't remember what it was, but that was his example. And I was like, oh, and it kind of brought that to life mm-hmm. that, you know, there's based on our life and different evolutions of our life, there's different tools out there to help us. But man, like you're going to like miss the boat in life if we don't find it, right? Like find what that is. And leading that is another thing, but individuals just being able to find that for themselves is just such a gift. So. Yeah. I mean, that contribution, I mean, I, I, when we, I ask like thousands of people every year, tell me about the time in the last seven days in which you experienced the most amount of purpose. What moment was that? Nobody has ever said when I got my direct deposit or when I got to the weekend or when I, you know, when I went to that party and rested, almost everybody says when they were contributing to someone else. And that story you just shared that, that contribution, right. To the, to your family or to someone else is the crux of purpose. Yeah. And it definitely is one of those key predictors of meaningfulness. I do want to highlight one thing, which I think is important because there's a lot of people that can't necessarily choose their jobs. Upwards of 60% of the US population, for example, is in wage earning service work with low propensity for career choice. But what we find is that leadership is especially important in, in helping those people to see the meaningfulness in their work. So while they, be, they may be there to get a paycheck and get to five o'clock, what they experience when they're there is incredibly powerful for helping people experience meaningfulness and dignity. A janitor in one of my studies on meaningful work, she told me that when she got her job, she was near homelessness. She said it was just a job to put food on the table. It was the only job that would hire her. But she said in the first week on the job, a supervisor noticed her, brought her into a break room and defined the word custodian as a person responsible for looking after a building and everyone in it. And she said that it was that moment that was the first time in her life someone showed her she was worthy of responsibility. And she's actually been a janitor now for over 30 years and has a thriving career at the university. And she owes it to that one supervisor taking the time to pull out a dictionary and show her she was worthy of significance to change her belief systems about herself. We we can't underestimate the capacity we have to help each other experience meaningfulness every day. Yeah. Through through showing people the evidence of their significance. Totally agree. And I think one thing I will reiterate too is in the years of talking with people just as a hobby on like how to really find this so that their days are joyful and they feel alive in their days. I can't tell you how many times people have said, I'm giving up the job. You know, I'm, I'm ready to just do something that, you know, like my job is one thing and it is, I accept what that is or whatever. Uh Um, I'm going to take this and I'm going to pour this into my volunteer side to your point of like mm-hmm. 60% of people. But I think all of us from an individual perspective do have that opportunity to yeah, help co-create absolutely. that, but back to the leadership side. So I know helping leaders to really instill and grow and develop purpose in their people. Like that is your jam. If you were to share, you know, the one priority, the key priority to, to lead most purposefully as a leader, I guess, how would you define like how to prioritize? Well, I mean, you might guess what I'm going to say, but I think it's prioritizing, creating mattering for the people that you lead. And the first way to do that is to really investigate how you see your people. Do you see your people as just there for a paycheck? Or as I was 
touring a facility recently, someone said, I said, what's your onboarding experience like here? And the guy said, we don't even do interviews anymore. We'll take anybody with a pulse, right? And if you have that perspective, if you treat someone just as a body to do something for you, you will have a talent problem forever. So how are you seeing people? Are you seeing people as means to your end? Or are you seeing people as the full human beings who are living lives as vivid, complex, and as important as your own, who do go home to people who love them? And I think that that's the first, that is really, as if you're a leader, that is the first investigation I would do with, with yourself. How am I really seeing these people? And then once you reconcile that every person is valuable and irreplaceable, what am I doing to make sure someone feels seen today? When's the last time I showed somebody how their unique gifts make a unique difference? And when's the last time I said, if it wasn't for you to somebody today? I mean, those are three things that you could probably do now. And I would encourage you to go find one person that you feel like maybe it's on your team, maybe it's an employee group that you feel like you haven't seen as much or they don't know that they're needed or you haven't affirmed them. And just go up to them and say, hey, if it wasn't for you and show them what they make possible and see what happened. And you'll see the evidence of how mattering works right there. I love that. I love the idea of the examples that you, you just gave on what's the action step that I'm going to try mm -hmm. this week. It's like, here's the one thing I'm going to incorporate mm -hmm. in to act and show up that way. So good. And it's, yeah. it goes back to as well, like the small things that are such big difference makers. Right. Right. Even when, I mean, one more you could just take if, because I know everybody's going to do it. If you say thank you or good job to somebody today, instead of saying that, show them the difference that they make. So describe what and when, what you're thanking them for happened, where, where it happened, what was happening, but then name the strengths that they used and just share with them the impact it had on you or somebody else. Just little things like that. Instead of telling someone good job, show them the difference that they make. Instead of saying thank you, show them why you're thanking them and what impact they had can start, again, creating environments that give people the evidence of their significance. So good. This time has gone so fast and we've covered a lot. We're going to take a quick break, hear from our sponsor message today, and then we'll come back to our lightning round where we'll get to learn a little bit more about the personal side of you. So we'll be right back. If you're leading with a people-first mindset, which most likely you are because you're listening to Gut Plus Science, join People Forward Network, the largest community of humans on a shared mission to lead meaningful work. You can find us at peopleforwardnetwork.com or follow People Forward Network on LinkedIn. All right, we're back on Gut Plus Science with Zach Mercurio. Had a great conversation today around purpose and helping people matter. It's been so good. Zach, we're now going to transition into learning a little bit more about the personal side of you. And we always love to hear favorite book of all time or favorite recent read. What would you pick? Mm, I have to pick Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. I, I reread it often. And if you don't know, he's a yeah, psychiatrist, concentration camp uh, survivor, who really talks about you know that he who has a why to live can bear almost any how. And that will to meaning, that will to live resides in all of what we've been talking about, meaningfulness and purpose. Mm. Yes, it very much illustrates what we're talking about today. So mm. perfect book. So Zach, what will you never give up on in your life? Well, I have, a, I have two boys. I have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. And one of the things I will never give up on 
is making sure that they know that sustained fulfillment does not come from acquiring and achieving things. It comes from contributing. And I always want them to know that how you contribute to those around you is the only way you leave a legacy. And to really be focused on how you can use their strengths to contribute. And if a byproduct of that is you acquire and achieve things, which is what I want for people, that is the ultimate security. And so I'll never give up on rewarding that. I'm starting, one of my second graders friends wrote him a little note that said, Tapley, that's his name, said, no matter what you do, you're always kind. And so I decided to put that on the refrigerator instead of anything else. And I tell him every day, I was like, this is what it's all about. I don't care what you do today. If you do this, you're successful. So good. Okay. And what is the best part of growing older in your life experience? Mm, That moods change, states change, thoughts change, situations change. They come and go. When you're when you're younger, it can seem like the situation you're in is the situation. And a key reframe is to know that, hey, this is one situation that's happening in my life. It doesn't define who I am. I am not this situation is something that comes with being older. And you just see that you can flow in and out of these situations, some tragedy, suffering, uh, but you keep moving through. And I think what's so cool about that is that I, now I know why, you know, as I'm getting older, now I know what, what wisdom is. It's about being able to see this like palette of experiences that you've made it in and through from an objective perspective instead of from within it. And um, that is like so powerful. So good. And Zach, what is the best way for our listeners to connect with you after the show today if they'd like to? Yeah. So the best way is to, to connect with me on LinkedIn. I really enjoy LinkedIn. I'm at Zach Mercurio and you can find me there. You can also go to ZachMercurio.com. Okay. What'd you think? Such a good episode, right? And so many key takeaways. Here's my truth you can act on today. Number one, Don't forget about the little things as you're leading, like names, remembering last conversations, recognizing their importance. There's such a big difference in knowing someone and noticing someone. Number two, intuition doesn't scale. Skills and practices do. Don't forget, meaningfulness is the psychological experience of feeling one matters. We just left the world a little bit better. Now, go do something with it.